All right, Matthew chapter 6. Now, we've been out of uh, Matthew on Wednesday night for the last three weeks. So, because Christmas Eve and Christmas were all on Wednesday and New Year's, and then I was sick, so we missed a couple days there. Um, we got down through, my notes say, we got down through the prayer through 15. Does that sound about right? Okay. It does? Well, mine says 616, so. Okay, well, we'll, we'll talk about some 1415 and then get into the rest. I'd like to finish the chapter, but we don't have to. We've just been away, <laughs> so everybody's notes are there. But uh, we, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, there is commonly called and known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is really where the Lord gives the uh, manifesto, if you will, the decree about his kingdom, the lifestyle, the kingdom. He, what he's describing here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the issue of kingdom living, uh, what, the, what the citizens of his kingdom, uh, their lifestyle, how they're going to, to, to operate and to function. These are not doctrine for us today. We've talked about some of that as we've gone through that. And actually, as we go through the rest of 6 and into 7, you, there's, it's just not for us today. It's for the nation of Israel, specifically that believing remnant. The, mantra, the, the message from day one in the book of Matthew is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's all about the kingdom. In Matthew, in chapter 5, he described the characteristics of the citizens of his kingdom. The meek shall inherit the earth and so forth. We looked at all of that. Then he begins to intensify the law in the end of 5 and end of 6, where he takes the law and he says, okay, if you think it, now you did it. Not so much just the overt activity. Remember we talked about the if you look at a, lady, a woman and you lust, you've, you've actually committed, he intensifies it because he's teaching them the issues of the new covenant. And he's teaching them the issues of, the, of not, the, no, not necessarily the mosaic, because the mosaic law said don't do the action, now he says, don't even think about it. Now it's a heart issue. And that's and in chapter 6, up, into, up to verse 15 here, he's been describing the issue of the heart and the heart issue. So he's intensified the law. Now obedience is going to be based on the new heart uh, attitude, that the new covenant that's coming to them. They're going to get a foretaste of it. And we'll get into all that as we go through the, uh, through the book. So there's an intensification of it. And then there's this heart issue. Now in chapter 6, he's been addressing various different issues. And again, he's dealing with the attitude of their heart. He's looked at the issue of giving. We've looked at the issue of prayer. Uh, we're going to look down at some stuff here about self-denial some stuff about fasting and different things on into chapter 7. So let's pick up in verse 14, since we tend, I think that's where we kind of left off just briefly, where, where that, um, well, verse 8, let's start there. And be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth 
in earth, sorry, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now you'll notice that's the, the Lord's Prayer. Usually that's where everybody's, you know, everybody knows that. But that's a prayer that's prayed by a member of the believing remnant that's in the kingdom. Now when he says there, again, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Give us this day our daily bread. That's all tribulation terminology. We went and looked at all that. I do remember that. Then in verse 14 and 15, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, again, that doesn't work for you and I today. And it really doesn't work for them either as far as how we think about forgiving sins. You could never remember everyone's offense against you. You know, you see that thing on Facebook, the little memes, if I haven't offended you today, just hang on a minute, <laughs> okay? So you would never, so he's, it's not really an issue of if I forgive, he'll forgive, and so forth, like we think about it, but rather it's that hard attitude. What should their attitude be towards those who come and offend them? By the way, who's going to offend them? For if, if, if ye forgive men their trespasses... Who, who has come up against them? I mean, think about, we're in the tribulation. We're going, these folks, if the body of Christ hadn't interrupted it, these folks are the folks going in through the 70th week of Daniel and on into the kingdom. So who offended them? Well, the big one is their, is their fellow Israelites. Because what are they going to do to them? Well, you read the book of Revelation, what do they do? They turn them in. Yeah, you know, they throw them in jail. They beat on them. They behead them. They do all that. Now, the guy pushing all that is the Antichrist and the adversary. So, really, I guess he would be number one. But, really, it's that, hey, you know, come over to James. We're going to come here back here. James chapter 2. So, when you begin to think about this, he says, hey, the hard attitude of you guys should be when that guy offends you that you do what with it? You just let it go. You don't harbor it. You don't hold on to it. Because that's the wrong attitude to have. You got James 2. Uh, po- popular passage. Gets you all the way down. You know, gets everybody... Uh, it's like rubbing the cat's fur the wrong way. Gets everybody all, all, all you know, hot and bothered. When you just leave it where it sits and read it, then you're good to get. Look at verse 16. Well, verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked or destitute of daily food, why would a brother and sister be naked and destitute of daily food? Because they refuse to take the mark of the beast. They can't buy and sell. By the way, if you're an Israelite and you take the mark of the beast, you're not going to the kingdom, you're going to the lake of fire. That's what it is. It's the, <laughs> people, some, I, I, somebody asked me one time, how, can you, how, how do you know it's swift justice over there in the kingdom? And it's immediate. Well, because look at the mark of the beast situation. 
There's no gray area there. Well, I was asleep when they did it to me, passed out drunk. No, that doesn't fly. You, you did it, you're done. And one of you, verse 16, say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful. Do you think if that was the case and you walked up, come back, and you knocked on the door and somebody said, Peace be with you, go, go away. Would you not be a little upset with them? They're supposed to be your brothers. They're supposed to be fellow Israelites. They're supposed to take care of you, and they just kick you on down. So when you come back here to Matthew four, I'm sorry, Matthew six, he he, it's not so. It's it's a little more going on here than if you forgive, then I'll forgive you. Okay. It's more of the hard attitude of, of, of what's going on down inside of that believing remnant as they're going to run into that apostate nation out there. The other group, by the way, are the Gentiles. But we know a little later here in Matthew that guess who really bailed, the gen, bailed them out was the Gentile. So really the group here that he's dealing with in Matthew 6 is that apostate nation out there because... Where would you go? You'd go to your brothers. Hey, you're my nation. You're part of me. And yet they just turned a blind eye. The other thing in verse 14 and 15 that you need to remember is the if condition. It's an if and then. That's the Mosaic law to the T. That's the briefest description of what the law does. If you obey me, then I'll bless you. If you forgive, then I will forgive you. So that's a great illustration of how that prayer doesn't get you anywhere but in hot water because you've got to do what? In the end, you have to start forgiving people. But ultimately, what's really going on in the passage as we've been moving through this is that hard attitude, that intensification of it. Um, also, there, <laughs> if you don't forgive, he won't forgive you. That, that's, that's pretty intense, okay, because that's really the case as he comes through. Now verse 16, Matthew 6, I'm sorry, Matt, go back to Matthew 6. Um, again, you and I, you go to Ephesians and Colossians, we're forgiven all trespasses, we're forgiven in Christ, as you're forgiven in Christ, so do ye, and stuff like that. We don't, we, this is a passage that we are not in it at all. Verse 16, Matthew 6, 16, moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites, of a sad countenance, for they disfigure uh, their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall re reward thee openly." Now, that's pretty clear, okay? There's nothing more to really say about that. this, except I have a few things to say about it, okay? Because this is a passage that people use on fasting. There is no instructions in the Word of God that tell you to fast, even in the law program, nor us today. There are no mandates that require fasting at certain intervals in your growth or whatever. Fasting in Scripture is completely voluntarily, volunteer. 
You choose to, Paul chose to do it. The guys choose to do it. It is not something, even in, the, in Israel's program, that they have to do. It's voluntarily. Now, what does he say here? Well, when you get, if you choose to fast, don't come out. I, I love that, verse 17. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face. Go take a bath, a shower, put on good, your good Sunday going to church clothes, and don't, don't make it look like you're fasting. The Lord knows your heart. That's the part there about your father, which is in secret. He knows your heart. He knows what you're doing. He understands what's going on. Don't let people see your fa- you were fasting. They were to do it unto the Lord, not for that outward appearance. He, he told them back there in chapter 5 of Matthew about, about their lighting that candle, and you don't put it under a bushel, you stick it out there. Here, you know, and he'll say, hey, if you're going to go pray, and you're going to do that, go in the closet and do it secretly to the Father and so forth. Nobody, these guys weren't going to stand on the street corner and say, I'm fasting, look at me. That wasn't the issue. Because it's the attitude of the heart that counts here. And that's the issue here. And again, for you and I today, fasting just cuts down on your eating for a day or two or however long you choose to do it. There's, honestly, there is no spiritual benefit in fasting for us today in the body of Christ. Because we're blessed with all spiritual blessings. We're not, <laughs> we're not getting anywhere. You, just, you get hungry. Now, health-wise... Medically, that's different. Spiritually, though, not so much so, okay? And I know guys who do it, and I know guys who will, you know, you're supposed to do it, but it's volunteer. It's of a voluntary nature. The Pharisees, they're going to go fast. That's By the way, that's the hypocrite there in verse 16. They go over there and they do the things out in the external and they walk out all disheveled and all, you know, they go. <laughs> you know, you can always buy clothes big enough to make you look like you lost weight. That's what they've done. They went down to Goodwill, got the heavy jacket, the bigger coat. Oh, man, we've been fasting, you know. And everybody goes, oh, look at how wonderful they are. Self-denial is not for the purpose of making a fair show in the flesh, as Paul would call it. They're to be doing it for the Lord. And that's the point here in 16, 17, and 18. And when you do it for the Lord, guess what? He's going to reward you openly. He'll take care of it. These guys, again, I'll just remind you, their reward is sitting right down the street in the kingdom, time-wise. They know that. They understand that. They're looking for it. The guys who do it outwardly, they have their reward as well. Guess what it's going to be? You're not going in the kingdom, you're going over here to the lake of fire. See, that's their reward. You're not doing it with the right heart attitude, you're not doing it out of belief. You you do it right, guys. This is what we're going to do. By the way, the citizens of the kingdom will do it right. Verse 19, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where the moth and the rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. Again, don't put earth now we're going to talk about earthly possessions. Don't 
don't put all your money in the things down here on the earth. You got stuff, you know, what's, they can come and take it away. You know, you see this mess going on in Iran over there. If I was Iraq, I'd be a little upset with them for bombing into my country. But it is what it is. But notice how quickly that happened. That was what was surprising to me. Just how fast, boom, boom, boom. It's like, whoa, okay. But, you know, the first, the first desert storm war, it, its anniversary is coming up here in January, later in the month, of, of however many years it's been. 90, 90, 91, right in there, something like that, 92. I, I can't remember now off the top of my head. But you know how what that showed was how fast things could get done, mechanize, move, move all that. And, and he, the Lord's like, guys, don't get so hung up down here. You know, verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Colossians 3, set your affections on things above. Why? Because where, where your effect, the things that you love and gravitate toward, that's where your heart's going to be. And he, again, he's not, he's not telling them, go lay up treasures in heaven, because where, are they, where is their focus? The kingdom on the earth. But he's taught, what he's, rather what he's doing with them is, is hey, you, when, he says, when he says there about them, uh, but lay up your, your, for yourselves treasures in heaven, what he's talking about there is that's where the riches are that God has given you. You know, you guys don't focus down here on the on on the physical. You got to be paying attention to what's going on up there and around. And again, where you lay up your treasures, that's where your heart's going to be. Come over to come back to chapter five. We've already kind of seen some of this as we have gone through here, chapter five and verse number ten. And, and again, this is this is going to be an issue push here. Again, it's the right heart attitude for them as they're getting ready, as they're going through, as they're going to be in that kingdom, that spontaneous living for each other. Chapter 5 of, of Matthew, verse 10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and, you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely, for my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Again, call your attention to the fact here that they had, you know, Peter calls it over there in First Peter, Second Peter, that uncorruptible, incorruptible reward reserved in heaven. When Christ comes back, sets up the kingdom on the earth. What do they, they, they get it all right there. He's like, hey, it's just right there. It's a short time. Uh, come over to Revelation 22. Just kind of think about this. Revelation 22. These people here are to lay up their treasures, and they're to do it in heaven because when Christ comes back, that's what, that's what he's bringing. 
Revelation 22, verse 12, the Lord says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. That's the issue in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As, they, as the Lord begins to gather that little flock, that righteous nation, that's going to come along and inherit the kingdom and move into the kingdom, in the tribulation here, things are going to, the things that they treasure down here on the earth, they're going to get burned up. They're going to get toast, but their reward is what? Reserved in heaven. You see, he, they've got something coming that far outweighs the, the things. And their reward is going to be their faithful, their reward. They get that reward for their faithfulness in the tribulation. And that's really that, that issue there of being reserved in heaven. Now come back to Matthew 6. So as, again, I try not to be so choppy, but the passage kind of is jumping around here. He's exhorting that little flock to be faithful in the view of, of the kingdom that's coming. And, and it's important for the saints, just as it is for you and I, that their heart be, be, be fixated, be singled out on what God's doing. And for them... Here in Matthew 6, it's that coming kingdom, and not really to get all focused all, all down in the tribulation, because they're not going to take the mark of the beast, and guess what they're going to run out of? Food, raiment. And when that begins to happen, then you be, your focus begins to change. You know, I saw Jordan and Mandy last night at the Bible study, and they got the new baby. Their focus is on that little one. He's a... 11, about a month old or something, a little over a month old, you know, what, and everything they do is focused on that little guy. Why? Because that's what you do. That's the natural reaction. Well, if all of a sudden you can't feed the little guy, now what are you doing? So you're, now you've taken your focus off out here, the provisions that they have in Christ and in that coming kingdom, and they're concentrating on here, and the Lord is saying, look, guys, don't do that. Now notice how he does this in Matthew 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore... The light that is in thee be darkness. How great is that darkness? I, I heard a guy one time said, see, that's a verse you need to understand. You need to be single all your life and don't get married. I'm like, dude, 1 Corinthians 7 handled that. Okay, But that's not what he's talking about here. If, all, if your focus and all your treasures are laid up in heaven and you're not focusing on the nasty now and now for these guys... Then, then he brings up this issue about the eye. And the idea here is that they have to keep their hearts on the right thing or to ruin them. It'll bring darkness in. The light of the body is the eye. Um, what goes in the eye gate is what, go, what controls you. And, it, what, and, 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 and literally it is what begins to dominate you. You understand that. 
you know, if you're on social media, you can kill five or six hours real quick, not realize it, going, oh my goodness, <laughs> you know, I, my legs are sore, I can't even get up, they're asleep, you know. Why? Because you're, you're, const you, you're feeding that eye gate. Israel, the Lord told, the, uh, told Israel back in Numbers, when they go into the land of Canaan, they're to destroy everything. But he makes mention about burning down their pictures. I don't know if you remember that. Go back, go back to Numbers. Numbers 33. Numbers 33, verse 51. He told them to their images and their statutes that they had. They're, they were to destroy them, tear them down, break them up. Numbers 33, 51, he says, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye are passed over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then ye shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land for before you and destroy all their pictures and destroy all their molten images and quick pluck down all their high places and ye shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell therein for I have given you the land to dispossess it and ye shall divide the land and off you go. Okay? But you see that thing? It's interesting that he brings up the thing about pictures. And what he's talking about is pornography. That's what he's talking about. You know, you, National Geographic comes and everybody runs to the pictures of the, of the you know, naked women, half-dressed, and blah, blah, blah. But that's what they had. Why? Because it, what does it do to your eye? You're concentrating on that now, and the next thing you know, you're what? You're polluted. Because that's all you're thinking about. By the way, when he talks there about breaking down their high places... He tells Israel, when you go in, you knock down their groves. Their groves were high places. The groves in the Baal worship were circles of trees on high places where they, where the, they did their re religious ceremonies and so forth, and the sexual activity of that ceremony was done in that grove. So they were to break it all down. They were to destroy it all. So when he, when he comes back here in Matthew 6 and he says, hey, the light of the body is the eye, that's the eye gate. That's what, if thine eye be single, singleness of purpose, just to focus on what God has for you, then what's, what's going to come into the whole body? Light. If you're, if you're maintaining a singleness, Paul calls it sober-minded, singleness on what you're doing, what's in front of you. Then the darkness stays at bay, and the light stays there, you know. And again, that's what's happening here. The night, darkness, tribulation. In Scripture, in night in your Bible is darkness. It's tribulation. That's when the tribulation shows up is at the night. Then the day comes, that's Christ coming. So where are they, where, where are they in here in Matthew 6? They're in the night. They're in the darkness. They're in the tribulation. What are they ought to be, who are they looking for? The light, Christ's return, his second coming. 
So he says, hey guys, set your treasure, set your heart, things there in heaven. That's where your singleness of mind is to be, is in that coming kingdom. Not in what's going on around you. Because it's going to get worse. You follow that? That's, that's what he's getting at here. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And man, you better have a singleness of mind. Because what's going to happen? Well, the next thing you know, you're going to be worrying about how to feed the family. How to clothe them. So what does he do? Verse 24. No man can serve two masters. Isn't that interesting? For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Boy, again, not too much more to say about it. (laughs) But in the tribulation period, for these folks, possessions and money, just to have a little jingle in your pocket, you know, I used to jingle when I was single, and I got married, and I jingle no more, or something like that. I forgot how that goes. Dad used to say that all the time, you know. Then I had kids, and I had <laughs> couldn't even find the room, you know. For these folks to have a little jingle and a little money is going to be problematic for them, because it's not going to be where they, they're they're not focusing right. Come over to. Um, well, come back to to Revelation 13. Let's just do this, and we'll talk about this verse here. You guys following what's going on here? He's not just, people read down through this and say, oh, see, look, that's how you ought to be living your Christian life. This has nothing to do about living your Christian life. Paul takes care of that. Similar principles. But these guys are in the middle of tribulation, Revelation 13. They're in the middle of this. Right here is what they're in the middle of, Revelation 13, 16. And he causeth all. He here is the um, false prophet, the beast, the Antichrist. They're working. They're, the false prophet is causing the beast, the Antichrist, to be worshipped. He's out there in the religious movement, making things move and happening. Then he says in verse 16, And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead, and that no man might buy or sell, save he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. They have to have what? they got to have that mark to do what? Buy or sell. You see, in the tribulation, they couldn't run down to Fry's or Safeway or Bash's and just pick anything up and get something. They, had, they were going to have to have this mark. And for the saint, for the believer that doesn't have the mark, guess what he can't do? He can't buy or sell. So now he's got to figure something else out. You see, if, you, if you're put in that position, you're going to lose everything, you know, all your possessions are going to be gone. That's the condition. Come over to James, chapter number one. Yes, ma'am. Yes. There, there, no. No, there, there won't be a lot of folks. Um, I told you James one, right? 
Come back to Matthew 25. Well, you know what? Let's just do James 1, and then I'll get, we'll get to Matthew 25. Do, let's just do James 1. Now, there will be some folks who are going to step up and help them out. There won't be a lot of them, because, and, it, and it's going to be the Gentiles is who it's going to be. Um, that's Matthew 25. But look at James 1, just real quick here. Here's the condition and the tribulation for that believing remnant. James 1, 26. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. So here's what pure religion is during the tribulation in the book of James to the believing remnant. What are they going to do? They're going to, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. The Old Testament, is in Israel's program, there is a ton of passages about dealing with the fatherless and the widows and the strangers within their gate and all that kind of stuff. And here it is. Now, go back over to Matthew 25. Because this is where, where her, your question is. The book of James is a tribulation epistle. Doctrinally, it's written to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Why are they scattered? They're running for their lives. Matthew 25 kind of is a parallel passage to all of that. Matthew 25 You've got the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 31, Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory. There's the second coming. Verse 32, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them. Who? All nations. This is not Israel. Israel is sitting up there with him on, by the throne. I mean, he's with the holy angels, but Israel is sitting on the side watching. They're involved in this, but they're not the key components, the, the Gentiles. So what does he do? He divides them. He separates them one from another, as a shepherd divideth the sheep from the goats. And he, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. He takes the Gentile nations out there, and he divides them up. And on the right hand, he puts the sheep, and on the left hand, he puts the goats. Now watch what he does. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now he's talking to Gentiles. And Israel, the believing remnant is standing there. They've already inherited the kingdom. He looks at the Gentiles and says to the sheep, You come in. For... Verse 35, For I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. Hey, in there, there's the food. We're going to see this in a minute in Matthew. There's the food. There's the clothes. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. He tells them over there in the church's message, Some of you are going to be thrown in jail. Who went and visited them in jail? These guys did. Then shall the, uh, 
I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the Lord and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it unto the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. He looks over and and they say, hey, whoa, wait a minute, Lord. (laughs) When did we see you? And he says, when you saw them and you took them in. Stranger, they're scattered abroad. They're running. The Antichrist adversary's got them under. He's getting them. They're running. He said, come on in, hide. We'll hide you right here. What are they claiming? The Abrahamic covenant. I'll bless them that bless thee. I'll curse them that curse thee. Now look at the next verse. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, the goats, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was a hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. And in prison, and ye visited me. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, by the way, notice it's Lord. The sheep said king. They know who he is. The sheep do. They are proselytes. They're believing Gentiles. They're Gentiles who are believing in the Messiah, the king of the nation of Israel. They understand where they belong in the pecking order. They got it. These guys didn't get it. He says, then, then shall, verse 44, then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord. Verse 45, then shall he answer them, said, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. There you go. (laughs) Again, we go back a minute ago, we looked at James 2. What does it profit a man if he has faith but he has no works, right? Hey, there's there's some activity involved here with their faith. Their faith would would go over there and look at the Word of God, and the Word of God says, hey, this is what you're going to do. By faith, what are they going to do? Go do what the book told them to do. That's the big difference. That's why James 2 is so hard, so misunderstood. Because it's not a, it's not a, it's a faith, they have faith in what the Word of God said. When that guy knocked on the door and said, we're, na- we're naked and destitute of food, what should they have done? Clothed them? and gave them food. These are Jews. These are other Israelites. They go down to the next, across the street, knock on the Gentile's house, who just happens to be a believer in the, in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they say, come on in. We got macaroni and cheese. We want some. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we got a little clothes here. Help yourself. What fits? It's yours. Take it. You see, there's a completely different thing here. Come over, come, so back here in Matthew 6, when he says to them, no man can serve two masters, you cannot serve God and mammon, they're in the, midst, they're in the middle of having to make a decision in their, in their situation of which way do we go. 
if we take the mark of the beast and we serve man, we lose everything. But if we by faith do what the word of God tells us to do, we're going to gain everything. They're in the middle of having to determine which way to go. And the pressure of it is enormous. It isn't like we have... <laughs> you ever go up through the drive-thru and you look at the menu board and you go, why couldn't it just say hamburger and chicken sandwich and fries? Yeah. The best thing about In-N-Out is it's that. It's a burger. Period. You want one patty or two patties? That's all, Right? These guys, are, it's, the choice is simple, but the pressure, we, were, we went into In-N-Out. We went into In-N-Out one night, and the line was out the door. And I was driving the school bus, so I was unloaded. It was a soccer team, and they're like, hey, we're going to In-N-Out. And I'm like, oh, okay. We get there, the line's out the door. And I'm like, guys, are you really? They're off the bus already. I'm like, I guess we are. I'm just going to sit right here, you know. But you so, but I went in and got a sandwich, and that poor cashier, just the pressure, that's these, they're in the pressure cooker, and they have to make that decision there, but they've already kind of made that decision, see, that's the point, he's going to come back, you're back in Matthew 6, that's where we need to be, he's going to come back, he's coming along, and he's and when he talks here about, hey, you can't serve God and material things, you can't have it eat both. You're going to, you have to make a decision. Where, which one has your eye? Which one has your heart? And that's really the point here. Uh, come back with me to, uh, come over to James. You were just there. I apologize. James 1. James chapter 1. And look at verse number 8. James 1 verse 8. A double-minded man is what? Unstable in all his ways. Isn't that something? You see it all around us where people are trying to straddle the fence. That's what he's talking about. He's telling them here, you need to put your heart on, don't put your heart on the earthly things. You've got to put your heart where it belongs, which is in what I'm doing, which is that, what that kingdom's coming. Keep your heart where it belongs, because that's what's going to get you through. You can't serve two masters. If you look back up there at verse 6, James 1 verse 6, well, you know what? Actually, start in verse 3. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and, enter, and entire, wanting what? Nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. And, and unbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Now watch verse 6. But let him ask where? In faith. Nothing wavering. When you waver, you know what you say? I want this. Oh, hang on a minute. I really, I, I really wanted that. You're bouncing. 
No, you need to be right where you need to be. Don't ask God that way. That's what he's saying back here in Matthew 6. Hey, you can't serve two masters. So when the pressures, go back to Matthew 6, when the pressures come, and you're going to say, well, I'm going to serve God, and then you say, no, I'm going to come over here and serve man because i got to feed my family. can't do that. It isn't, gonna, it isn't going to get you out. It isn't going to relieve the stress. Elijah asked Israel in 1 Kings, how long do you, do, how, how long, uh, how long, how, uh, oh. I can't, the, the word slips my mind. 1 Kings 18, 21, and Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long halt ye, that, that's what I couldn't remember, between two opinions. If the Lord be God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. It's time to cowboy up. That's what he's doing with them here in Matthew 6. Guys, listen. You got all this going on. Don't, don't go out here and do a bunch of stuff for show. Have it right. And then, by the way, have it where it needs to be. Have your, your, your priorities right. Because back in Matthew 6 now, verse 25. Therefore... Because of that, because of, of everything we just looked at in verse 19 to 24, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Isn't that interesting? See how he's just moving right through the things that are going to come at these people. Don't think, don't take anything, don't, no thought for your life. If they die, where are they going to, what's going to happen to them? They're going to be resurrected into the kingdom. That's the overcomer bit there in Revelation 2 and 3. Don't think about anything you're going to eat or drink. Don't think about, don't worry about the stuff for your body, what you shall put on. Don't worry about the clothes. What did he tell them in Matthew 25 to that sheep? When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was naked, you clothed me. Those three components. Don't worry about what's. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and what you're going to wear. Life's more important than all of that. Verse twenty-six. Behold. Behold. Look around. Pay attention. Watch and see what's going on around you. The fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into the barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Now, this is going to be some sarcasm here, okay? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his statute? <laughs> you can't make yourself grow by thinking about it. <laughs> he tried. It just doesn't work that way. And, and you don't want to be poor like poor Hayden and have a, have a tumor on the growth gland, and now he's over seven foot tall. You know, you don't need that. You can't do that. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. 
they toil not, neither do they spend. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe thee, clothe you, O ye of little faith? Oh, just a dig. Because who's standing around, by the way? That apostate nation. But the believing remnants stand in there too, and what can happen to them? They can have the little faith as well. Verse 32, for after all these, I'm sorry, verse 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. You see, he's not talking to the Gentiles. He's talking to the kingdom saints. Your, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added. The things in the passage are the things you're going to eat, drink, and wear. They're going to be added. You see, folks, the kingdom program provisions are ample. Job got back everything plus, didn't he? Okay? To take care of their needs. But he's telling them you're not to get all bent out of shape over here <laughs> with what's going on in the tribulation when they're poor, when they're destitute, when they're hungry. Because out in that kingdom, what are they going to be? Rich and well taken care of. And that's literally the issue here, is that they seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's going to be the focus now as He's going to move forward dealing with that apostate nation. Because what are they seeking first? All the stuff. They're, and by the way, they're not even seeking his righteousness in most of the cases. All these things will be added unto you. If their mind is set on being who they are, that righteous nation, and producing the lifestyle of that kingdom, God will take care of all their needs. And it will be done. He comes here... Again, the parallel passage just for times, Luke 12. And you know what he says? Fear not, little flock, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Come over to Luke 12. We might as well look at it. I know I said time, but what's time, right? Luke 12, verse 22. It actually runs all the way down to verse 34. Luke 12, 22, he says, And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. Consider the ravens, verse 24. Consider the lilies, verse 27. Verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. 
Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approach, neither moth corrupt. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about, and your lights burning, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord, when he, sh he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. You see, he's going to come back, and he's going to bring that kingdom. And when he does, and he's going to set it all up, and you know what he's going to do when he does that? The, the folks waiting for him, he's going to go in, they're going to go in, and he's going to take care of them. Now, that's why when you come over to Acts 2, they're told in Acts 2 to sell everything they've got. Because in Acts, in this part of the program on giving, <laughs> it isn't good to have money at this time. See, the old, in Israel's program, the tithing program was going. The Lord shows up. It's no longer the 10, the 10, and the, the 5 percenters. Now it's 100%. You're to sell everything out. You're to sell out. Why? Because the kingdom's coming. Acts 2, verse 42, I get there, Acts 2, 42. And they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and all had things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. One of the reasons why they sold out was because, and then they brought it so that what? Everybody had everything in common, okay? Who's coming? The kingdom's coming. They're anticipating going in. But what happened in Acts 7? He cuts them off at the kneecaps. He interrupts their program. They fall. He reaches down, saves Saul of Tarsus in Acts 9, it's in Romans 15. He says, hey, the church, the body of Christ, they're beginning to learn, those that are in a, uh, Macedonian Achaia, they're beginning to learn that we're enjoying some spiritual benefits from their demise. Come over to chapter 4 of Acts. And you know what? We want to get, we want to take care of their carnal things. And he collects up that offering for the poor saints. But why were they poor? Because by faith, they're doing their program. They didn't know God was going to change the program. In their mind, where are they headed? Right into the kingdom. It's coming. We got seven years to get over there. That's how, that's how in that verse in Acts 1, he's talking to them about things pertaining to the kingdom. They ask the question, Lord, when are you going to restore the kingdom? Is it time? He's like, well, we got a few things to do yet. Just relax. Calm down. What did they understand? They understood seven years of tribulation, and we get the kingdom. We can make this. Acts 4, verse 31. Acts 4, 31. And when they prayed, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with the boldness. That is the second time the Acts 2 event happens. It's going to happen another time later here in, in, in 
the early part of Acts. So they literally, Acts 2, the day of Pentecost has fully come. They get the Holy Spirit. Now, a, a little time later, a couple months later, they actually have it again happen. And here's where we're reading it, verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them, uh, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. They sold their possessions. They had a common, they had a common offering box. <laughs> it all went in the one. And if you needed something, it was taken care of. Verse 37, well, verse 33, verse 34, Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the price of the things that were sold. They sold off all their investments. They went down and emptied out their 401k account. We don't need it. The kingdom's coming. It's right here. It's right around the, it's right around the track. They laid them down, verse 35, at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Verse 37, having land, sold it, talking about Barnabas, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then chapter 5, you've got old Ananias and Sapphira who lied and didn't, and what happened to them? They were toast. Instant justice for breaking the law and the word. You see, folks, these guys, go, go back to Matthew 6, keeping an eye on the clock. Take therefore no thought, verse 34. Take, their, take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. You know what? Tomorrow will take care of itself when it gets here. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Don't worry about the next day. Just get through today, one day at a time. I think about the song, the show. But that's isn't that what all of the help groups say? What? One day at a time. Just get through this day. Easy does it. Because look at 7-1. Judge not, there, judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet it, shall be measured to you again. You know, we'll, we'll start in 7 next time. 7-1 here is a very controversial, one of those other little controversial passages that pop up. But the tendency, the reason why he's going to move to judgment here now in 7 is because where are they in, 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 in the end here of chapter 6? They're poor. They, are they have sold everything. They have sold out. They are poor. They don't have a leg to stand on. They don't have food, raiment, nothing. So the tendency in Israel's program is to say that when someone's in poverty, God is against them. If you're poor, that's what Job's friend said to him, 
Job, you wouldn't have had these financial, family, physical reversals unless God was against you. If you're poor, then that means you're doing, you must be doing, you're a bad boy. You must have sin in your life. You need to get right. You see, folks, poverty is going to overtake the believers in the tribulation. And what's going on in that tribulation is exactly what Ezekiel 20 said, where they're purging out the rebels. And the only true, the only, tr only the true believers are going to make it through. But what's happening here is there's a little warning getting kind of laid out to the others in Israel. Don't make the mistake about when you see them being poor, that God's getting them. Because really it's the other way around. So what he does now in Matthew 7, he's going to bring up the issue of judgment. Then he's going to bring up the issue of prayer in verse 7-7, seven, seven, about knocking and seek and you'll find all that good stuff. And we'll, go, we'll, we'll start getting down through it, but just don't, for Israel, don't look at their situation thinking God's against them. Because why are they poor? Because they've been doing what the Word of God's told them to do, which was sell everything, lay it all in common, early acts. Because what's coming? Kingdom. By the way, if you have a bunch of investment properties, and the adversary rolls into town, and you're told to run, you're not going to run because what do you got in town? All your stuff. Get rid of... He's literally making these guys mobile. Because we can grab the cash bag and run. If you think about what, what they're doing, you know, sell out, bring it to the, don't, get rid of it. Well, one, you got the blessings coming in the kingdom, okay? But now they're literally going to, he says there in Matthew, um, when you see this, flee to the mountains, ye in Judea. How, well, if I own the house, I ain't running too far from that house and the apartment building and all that other. Unless I don't have what? I don't have that attachment. Have the single eye. Singleness of sober-minded, sober thinking. Be right where you're supposed to be, operating on by faith, and off you go. Now, what begins to happen in all of this, then, is people use this on you and I today and say, See, look, God's getting you because you're poor and don't have. And we understand that that's not the case. Okay? Now, now we do, okay? And it's good that you do because it's liberating. These guys are very specific in what they're doing. Now, we just covered a whole big old section because most of this is self-explanatory. But I'm just trying to make the connection with you. He is getting them. This is what they're going to look like in the kingdom. they got to get there. Now, we'll start in chapter 7, verse 1, talk about the judgment issues and the prayer and uh, the two foundations and all that other good stuff that's in there, okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you that we live in the dispensation of grace and uh, that we live in a time of your long-suffering, of your forbearance. And we just thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.